Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Let's open with a brief prayer. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. And Lord, I pray the same for every person in this room. Let us put away the world. Let us shut off our our thoughts and our cares and our concerns and focus on the message you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to start in Scripture, Romans 8, 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba, Father, for His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share His glory, we must also share His suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. My message today is titled, Suffering Sorrow and Our Hope for Tomorrow. And the scripture we just read encompasses all three of those elements. Many other passages in the Bible do also. And uh, one is in Lazarus, or the story of Lazarus, which begins in John 11, 1. And if you want to read the whole thing, I highly recommend it. Most of you probably know the story. It's the account of Lazarus getting sick and his sisters asking Jesus to come, but Jesus tarries and Lazarus dies. And it's one of the most fascinating stories of Jesus anywhere in Scripture. But to save time and to stay on the subject today, we skip ahead to 1133 where it references Jesus coming upon his sisters. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put them, he asked. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. If you recall the narrative, we're not surprised that the sisters were crying. They lost their brother, and they were upset that Jesus didn't come right away when they asked. And women are usually, not always, better at expressing the important emotions of grief than our men. Jesus, too, was overcome with sorrow, and, and that may have come as a surprise both then and now because pretty much universally as males, we tend to look at weeping, crying, sadness, or sorrow, any outward expression of grief, as unmanly. But that's an attitude that comes from the world, not from the Word. Scripture gives us many good examples of strong, faithful, godly men openly expressing these emotions. And the passage we just read is one of at least three, maybe four situations where we know Jesus himself openly cried or expressed grief or extreme sorrow. And if the Son of God, the only man who never sinned, found it appropriate to grieve, then we should know it's okay too. Suffering is just part of life. No one escapes it. 
everyone experiences suffering at some point, some for incredibly long periods. I know people, I'm friends with people where, oh my gosh, their entire life has been filled with suffering. And it comes in a lot of different forms. Physical pain from injury, illness, disability, or disease. Loss of something important to you, a job, a home, a big investment, a friend, a marriage. A very common cause is death of a loved one. And suffering can also come from those in the world who hurt us with their words, attitudes, or actions. And the Bible is filled with dozens of examples, including persecution, where people come after us precisely because of our faith. And the natural human reaction to suffering is almost always sadness and sorrow. Now, we all know that Jesus suffered, but we pretty often forget that he felt sorrow too. Not only did he feel it, he expressed it. And I think that's important enough to take a quick glance at the stories where Jesus openly showed others the sadness or the grief that he felt. We're not going to flash these scriptures on screen. Most of you are familiar with them. In three of the Gospels, including Matthew 23, we read about his entry into Jerusalem. It was supposed to be his triumphant in entry, but he was greatly distressed. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. And now look, your house is abandoned and desolate. We read about Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Matthew 26, then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane and he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And of course, during his crucifixion, as described in Mark 15, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Over the past 18 months, two years of what we call the pandemic, I have witnessed a huge increase in suffering accompanied by great amounts of grief and sorrow. The general public often seems stunned, dazed, confused, and the church is not immune. Everything from Disease to divorce to depression and even death, way too many by suicide, has increased exponentially. And in a very divided and nasty world of politics with huge amounts of social upheaval and change and disruption and global developments that many would have never imagined. This is the modern world, and we have huge auto dealerships in Albuquerque and around the country that have no cars to sell because there's a shortage of computer chips all of a sudden. What is going on? And, and we've seen so many suffering and in sorrow, and we're seeing more and more of the close sister of those two pains, and her name is anger. I've seen 
all three emotions increase drastically in the church at large. Like I said, we're not immune. People are sad the church has changed. Many are mad at the changes that have been made and those that haven't been made. I can't tell you how many people have told us in person or email they quit coming to church because, A, I will not attend a church where they make you wear a mask, or B, I will not attend a church where they do not make you wear a mask. And frustration is everywhere, and, and, and I get it because I feel it. I live it. We all do, right? And, and I've gotten off very easily compared to many. People have lost homes, jobs, their businesses that they worked their whole lives to build. And many feel they've lost something that, as Americans, we truly cherish our freedom of choice. Many have lost contact with the outside world. Isolation, even when it's your choice, is not good. Scripture said mankind was not made to be alone. We have a very dear sister in the church that several of us try to keep in contact with. She's not able for health reasons to attend. She does watch online. But she was very angry and very upset that her important doctor's appointments were canceled. She has a lot of serious conditions. And she was so angry and we talked and we prayed and helped her to realize that those were her only outside social contacts. And so it wasn't so much that she was mad, she was actually sad. We have a lot of differing opinions about the best way to handle all these things, don't we? And uh, a lot of us, it just makes us mad. But the, the sad is all over too, and sad that goes on and on and gets piled onto often morphs into mad. But as Christians, we have to remember that most anger is displeasing and unacceptable to God. James 1.19 reminds us, understand this, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. In other words, your anger cannot make things right in God's sight. Bottom line is that the vast majority of the times we get angry, evil wins, even in traffic. As Pastor Davis pointed out many, many times, we need to put aside our differences, especially inside this fellowship, and pull together as a church that loves Jesus so much that we can overlook differing opinions and attitudes and preferences. Back to suffering and sorrow. Many people have lost someone they love. I know of several at NCC who've had multiple family members die from the virus. Horrible to experience. It's bad enough to lose one. I'm closely involved with at least two other families who are struggling with COVID at this moment, I was out late Thursday night getting prescriptions filled for a single grandma that we really love. She's raising two very sweet young granddaughters, both special needs, and all three of them were so sick. And grandma had to be rushed to the hospital, and I could hear the girls crying loudly over the phone while the EMTs were wheeling her out. And she's home now, but not because she's well. She had to go back to the emergency room a second time. They can't admit her because they don't have rooms available. 
three of the five that live in my home have had COVID since this started. I spent five weeks in quarantine and never had it, not so far at least. My son's family of five in Utah, they all got it back when they were just a family of four and a half when my daughter-in-law tested positive a week before baby Jeremiah was born. Praising God, they're all doing well, but it was, it was a struggle. And not everyone here has been so blessed. We've had those on our ministry teams who've been extremely ill with COVID over the, the past few weeks. Just last week, a newer member of our NCC family passed away in the hospital. Doug and Shirley Mitchell began attending New Covenant just before COVID hit. And shortly prior to that, Doug's doctor discovered serious issues with his autoimmune system. And Doug told Shirley that if I ever get COVID, it's going to be the end. He was very careful, but sadly, he was right. Somehow, he was infected, and, and he passed from this world from COVID about a week ago. She wasn't even allowed in the room with him at the end of his life. She was required to watch through a window as he took his last breath. And Shirley and their family are understandably devastated, but they're trusting completely in Jesus. And we're preparing what we believe will be a wonderful memorial service for them to be held here in this room next week. Shirley and Doug's deep faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior will be expressed and the Lord will be honored. And he cared enough about that to express some things and requests and preferences for his service when that time came. So don't we feel tricked and uncertain, defeated at times? Just when it felt like so much of the sadness and sorrow had started to fade and we're able to get out again and to be in groups and to take our masks off and live life, then boom, the virus is back deeper and darker than before. The Delta, uh, the Delta variant, they say, is more contagious and we've got new masking requirements, demands for vaccinations in order to participate in certain elements of society, to keep a job or even to attend the state fair and threats of further lockdowns that are all combining to throw us for a loop no matter what our preferences and our opinions are. And now they say there's another mutation called mu and nobody's sure what that's going to do. Yet as much as it dominates the news and our conversations, the virus certainly isn't the only problem. COVID is not the only thing hurting and killing people. We had five police officers shot in the line of duty in Albuquerque a week or two ago. The city has already broken our yearly record for homicides, and it's only September. What is going on? It's called life. And I can't even begin to explain the huge need for pastoral care and your intercessory prayer. Child abuse has skyrocketed. So is domestic violence and sexual trafficking of the young and the innocents. Did you read about the federal task force that found over 100, I believe it was over 150, missing children from all over the country who were being exploited in the sex trade and they found them all right here in Albuquerque just a few weeks ago. Evil is real. And it is right here at our door. 
Add in the earthquake in Haiti, the hurricane in New Orleans causing massive problems all the way up through New York City, and it can seem unbearable, overwhelming. As many of you know, I oversee what we call our compassion ministry. We deal with basic necessities that most of us take for granted of those in our fellowship who need a little extra help to get by. Single moms, grandparents raising grandchildren, the differently abled, the deserted, the elderly, those who are hit by hard times. We believe it is what Jesus has called all of us to do when he said to clothe the naked, feed the hungry, be a friend of the lonely, to care for the elderly, the widows and the orphans. And all that starts inside our own church family here at New Covenant. But he can't end here we need to always keep our eyes and our ears open for opportunities to help in the name of jesus anywhere around the world we've got 30 40 people across town this morning at the noonday ministry dealing with the homeless population and the near homeless there and we do it every single month we have people that have gone out into all the world to help the departure from Afghanistan of our military was a disaster. Innocent refugees who helped us over there for years are now here trying to figure out what their life is going to be like. And there are actually a number of them in our state in Alamogordo. And we should be prayerful and watchful and ready to help if the opportunity presents itself. You know, as we get to know those in our church who are doing their best but need a little bit of extra help with food or household Uh, supplies medicine rent utilities car repairs insurance things like that we are able in most cases to step up in a very caring and loving way and I can't find words to express how proud I am of all of you for us being able to do that your contributions once every month when we take up that special extra collection after communion over and above what you normally give to the church are what allows us to do so much so freely and so generously. And on behalf of all those you help every week of the year, thank you. Now, of course, everyone's greatest need is for a relationship with Jesus. And it does no good to just give people money and things if you don't also help them understand that the source of of this kindness comes from our great love of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So we do our best to spend time with them, listening, finding out what's going on, teaching them Scripture and biblical principles to pray, to encourage them to get involved, to make them feel like they belong, to help them understand that they're cherished and loved, not just by us, but by Jesus himself. Then in pastoral care, there's the day-to-day things like marriage and family counseling. Those needs have skyrocketed. People addicted to alcohol or drugs or just lost and running away from the Lord. I don't want to say that we've been overwhelmed, but... It has been nonstop, and it keeps piling up. We remind ourselves that we believe Jesus has blessed us greatly by allowing us to participate so actively in the lives of so many who are hurting. And God has given me 
a lot of heart for these people. When they hurt, I hurt. You hurt. When we share our needs as a family, we all hurt. But hurting together helps ease the load. Our prayer ministry shares these needs. We have an active prayer ministry. They meet on a regular basis. We're always looking for more people to get involved. Check with the office if you're interested. Many of you know that Josh Link, barely into his 40s, lost his long and valiant battle with colon cancer and is now with the Lord. I, I prefer to say that he graduated early with honors. And it was a great honor to help his bride Mary and their two young sons and his deeply grieving parents plan an absolutely beautiful celebration last weekend. But it was sad. Oh my gosh. Afterwards, we just noticed we've never seen so many crumpled tissues on the floor after, after a funeral. Josh suffered so much and so long to try to beat this relentless disease. And in this room, there was much sorrow. Yet, there was an overwhelming sense of hope for tomorrow because of Joshua's deep trust in Jesus and the way he demonstrated that through the way he lived his life right up through his dying breath. In the past couple of weeks, I've done a, a number of home visits with others who are fighting end-stage or terminal cancer. An older grandfather who is widowed and live with, uh, lives with his son's family just around the corner here. They're, they're very active in the church. We love him very much. He's very ill. And it doesn't look good for his health, but he has a beautiful outlook. Last week, I visited two other wonderful couples that I have come to love like family here at NCC over the past 10 years, and they're both struggling too. One of them, come October 5th, Jim and Shirley Van Risen will have been married for 53 years. And a lot of you may not know their name, but you'll recognize them. They usually sit towards the back over here with their matching oxygen hoses on. They're just, they're so wonderful and they're so faithful to come even though it's not easy to get here. Shirley has been diagnosed with terminal cancer too. And the doctors say her time is very short. She's hurting. She's in a lot of discomfort, but, but still as sweet and kind, as gentle as ever. Please keep them in your prayers that they can both continue to keep their eyes on the prize. And then, of course, we all have our own individual problems at home, right? My wife is <laughs> young and very active. She's, she's 56. Okay, she's a lot younger than me. And yes, she's a lot better looking too, but don't rub it in, okay? She's been struggling with health for well over a year, and, and it's rare because she's so healthy and so, so athletic. She went through extreme pain and discomfort for over a year before she was finally able to get her gallbladder removed. And at the same time, she's been in agony with what we thought was a back or a hip injury. And, and just last week, after x-rays and MRIs and numerous doctor's visits, she found out she has to have a hip replacement, and she was devastated she's a strong woman but she just she just put her head in her hands and I felt so terrible for her and then I was starting to feel bad for myself going I'm going to be the caregiver through all of this <laughs> and you know how good we guys are at that end of life right and no more did I start worrying about that 
Then a good friend, a dear brother who's part of our family here at NCC called to tell me that his wife's cancer had returned and that the doctors didn't have any hope of curing it or just hoping to be able to hold it off for a while. That sure took me out of my little pity party pretty quick. Probably every one of you could share examples that are similar to these. Last night I was texting late at night with two good and godly men of ours in the hospital, Jeremy Sines. A lot of you know him. He's very active, uh, he and his wife Rose. Jeremy uh, is, is one of our deacons, and, and he also is involved in leading the worship team a lot. He was in the hospital with COVID and, and got better and went home and then discovered some, some other bad internal problems. We're not sure. We just know it's something that's not good with his kidneys. And then Mike Walker. Mike is a, a, a little bit older, but still generally very healthy. But he's, he's just got a very, very bad UTI that's morphed into double pneumonia. And, and we were texting with him last night, keeping them both in prayer. And we ask you to do the same. Suffering, sorrow are all around us. And if you've not been hit yet, hang on. It's right around the corner. But that doesn't have to spell defeat. Sadness and sorrow can actually make us stronger followers of Jesus. I know it sounds weird, but they can become our friends. Poet Robert Browning Hamilton wrote something I often share at funerals. I walked a mile with pleasure. She chattered all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and not a word said she but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. It's a beautiful paradox of Christianity that joy can coexist with sadness. For the true believer, our sorrows and sufferings serve to refine us. They force us to take a more honest look at all that we have, or all that we had and didn't appreciate. It pushes us to look truthfully at how often we take our blessings for granted. And sadness, pain, suffering can be used to the glory of God. Listen to 2 Corinthians 1, 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with His comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. In the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes addresses an interesting subject where it says in 7-2, better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies, so the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death, 
while a fool thinks only about having a good time. Could that be right? Could sorrow possibly be better than laughter? Laughter is not bad. And it's certainly something that's allowed. It's a wonderful gift, one of the most beautiful things in our life. But it can be used wrongly as an escape or denial, as a way to avoid the pain or the sorrow. We'll even drink or use drugs or do other dangerous things. When the high wears off, the low is still there even deeper than before. Solomon learned that sorrow sharpens our mind, helps us work through the important issues in life. The mind of a wise and godly person maintains poise and serenity in the presence of destruction and disappointment. Our faith in Jesus and understanding of what happens when we go through a trial or a test allows us to deal with the pressure in a way that pleases Jesus. Now, this is not to say that we shouldn't grieve. Just the opposite. We have to get our sorrow out and express it. Again, tears are not unmanly. And ladies, I'm finding more and more women who are trying to tough it through. And that's not smart for you. It's not good for our head or our heart, man or woman. Not at all. God gave us tears for good reason. Our grieving is not only something God desires, it is something that our spirit requires get it out deal with it the best you can and give it to jesus we need to feel this hurt and pain not because the lord is mean and cruel but because he wants us to grow he wants us to know that there is a better way so that we can look forward to that day when every tear will be wiped away Revelation 7 reminds us, for the Lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Yet we as believers, as grievers, are expected by God to be different in the way we act towards and respond to death and destruction. 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We have hope in the promise of our future with God for eternity in paradise. And it's critically important for us and for those around us that after we grieve, even while we grieve, that we reach out for and embrace the beautiful music that God is playing for us at the moment. The famous preacher Charles Spurgeon did a sermon called Songs in the Night. He gave reasons why why we should sing in the night. One was that others who travel in the same dark way We'll hear they'll find guidance and receive strength. So in your night of bereavement, he said, sing. Sing for your own welfare and for that of others. In doing so, you will find help for the night and assurance for the day. Over the past 10 or 15 years, I've developed a a, a wonderful lifeline to songs in the night. And it works in the daylight too and it's Christian radio. 
And if you're stuck in the 60s or the 70s or the 80s or the 90s listening to the garbage we were all raised on, I know it can be fun, but so much of it is useless and destructive. Give yourself a fair chance. Do the 30-day test. Listen to nothing but Christian music on the radio for 30 days and see what God does in your life. See how you can be inspired. There are so many beautiful, wonderful songs on right now that lift me up and, and remind me of Scripture and God's truth and the hope. One is by Ryan Stevenson, and it's called When We Fall Apart, and I want to share a few lines. It's okay to cry. It's okay to fall apart. You don't have to try to be strong when you are not. And it may take some time to make sense of all your thoughts, but don't ever fight your tears because there's freedom in every drop. Sometimes the only way to heal a broken heart is when we fall apart. Another thing is to pray Scripture, not just to read it, but to use it as a prayer. And I believe Psalm 39.4 is a beautiful example of doing that. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is just a breath. We are merely moving shadows and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth not knowing who will spend it. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. Rescue me from my rebellion. That last sentence leads us into an area of sadness and sorrow that is caused by our own bad choices and evil desires when we purposely turn our face from God and run away knowing what we're doing is wrong. A morning inspiration I did some time back comes from 2 Corinthians 7.10. For God can use sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin and seek salvation. We will never regret that kind of sorrow. But sorrow without repentance is the kind that leads to death. I'll never forget the gut-wrenching sorrow and sadness in my life the two years before asking Jesus to be my Savior. It came from about 20 years of poor choices and dangerous habits that led me to divorce, depression, even a desire for death. And even though I had to live through the consequences for my evil action, I, actions, I learned that Jesus had forgiven me. That was hard to grasp because I knew that I had done so much wrong for way too long. But Scripture taught that Jesus had already paid my price through His personal sacrifice. But being terribly sorry for what I'd done wasn't enough. I had to repent, turn away from my addictions, habits, old ways of sinful thinking and living. I had tried to change on my own for years before that with little to no success. But Jesus sent His Holy Spirit into my heart and mind both to correct me and to protect me. And Jesus brought peace into my heart and comfort to my soul. The first few years of turning from who I'd become were very tough in some ways and incredibly productive in others. And over 33 years later, I only have one regret that I didn't do it sooner. The joy that dominates my life today and the hope of being with Jesus on a future tomorrow make it more than worth all that sorrow. But it could have been avoided. 
And if you're here this morning or watching online and you've never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, don't wait. Come and see me after service or text or email any of the pastors here so we can walk you through the process. That's the life he brought me through and Jesus is waiting to do the same for you. Yet, we all know we can do everything right and still seemingly have everything go wrong. The story of Job is such a beautiful example of that. He was a good and godly man. God's favorite, he still suffered. When we're honest, we have to admit we're often still afraid, still unsure about how to deal with the uncertainties of life, especially the deterioration that invades our bodies as we age. Oh my gosh, I've been needing to see a a, a general practitioner for a long time. Our doctor of 25 years retired and Rose finally set up an appointment the other day and they, they said, well, what's the problem? And she says, how long have you got? But through our faith, we can learn to embrace the truth that the time we have left is short and getting shorter. We're one day closer to our death today than we were yesterday. And I don't say to make you depressed, but to help you realize that each day is precious, to help us understand that the special moments with our parents, our spouses, our children, our grandchildren are dwindling quickly. So are we going to hide our heads under the pillow out of sorrow, or do we live our life like we may not be granted a tomorrow? Like that song on the radio, what if today's the only day I've got? Lord, help me give it my best shot. Are there things you need to do or say? Have you made things right with the Lord, with those you know? You know, big thing the past 15 years, a bucket list. I want to go to Hawaii. I want to ski from a helicopter. I want to, you know, uh, dangle $1,000 bills off the bridge and light them on fire, whatever, whatever. <laughs> have, you made a th- have you made a spiritual bucket list? If not, why not? Have we clearly expressed our love and appreciation to those who are most important in our lives? Have we made the phone call or made the appointment or written a letter? Do we realize we don't have forever to learn to understand God's Word and then to live it faithfully every day? To reach out to try and save the soul of someone we care about? Have we forgiven everyone that we have hardness in our heart against? Do we really want to stand before the Lord in the very near future, having never gotten around to any of those things or any of those wonderful works of service that we've always promised ourselves we're going to do for God's kingdom later in the future when I find the time? And just as important as being able to live a life of joy in spite of our problems, is being able to comfort and support those who are hurting. Romans 12, 15 reminds us, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. We all need to practice the ministry of presence to constantly be on alert for anyone who is hurt or suffering. If Jesus has placed them in your path, even if you don't know them well, they are there. God has done that for good reason, and we should pray to find out what that reason or reasons are about to ask how we might help it might be something as simple as listening carefully 
and then saying, is it okay if I pray for you? Just being a true friend. There's a scripture I've leaned on heavily. It's been in quite a few of my sermons over the past couple of years. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 Always be joyful. Never stop praying. For this, uh, be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Really? Always be joyful. Be thankful no matter what. It sounds impossible. But it's not. It's not easy. Scripture says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We just need to look. I'm learning that joy is always present. It's often buried just beneath the surface of what we see. We have to dig down a little. Mine the joy as if you were looking for diamonds or gold. Joy is the treasure God gives us on earth very often in the midst of extreme suffering and sorrow. Search for it. Dig down. I know it's not easy. I have to remind myself every single day. And those songs on the radio help me. Plagues and pandemics have been around for thousands of years through all of history. Just because we caught a break for the most part of a hundred years or so, we got spoiled. We forget. So many people in history, most lost family members and children through viruses and pandemics, including Abraham Lincoln, and the great church reformer Martin Luther. I had the virus that was terrifying the country when I was a small child called polio. I survived. I got by with a mild case when many others spent their short and painful lives with disformed arms or legs or on crutches or inside a giant machine called an iron lung. I will always be incredibly grateful. Yes, with this virus today, we have to be careful. We have to take reasonable precautions. And we need to be caring Christians towards those who are more sensitive about this than we might be. Yet no matter what, some of us are going to get sick and some of us are not going to survive. But for a true believer, our hope is that death is the beginning, not the end. So before we go out into the world today, just what is this hope we've referred to the new bible dictionary gives a great description of biblical hope and it's a little long but but see if you can listen through with me hope it would seem is a psychological necessity if mankind is to imagine the future at all even if there are no rational grounds for it man still continues to hope very naturally such hope even when it appears to be justified comes and goes and it's remarkable how often it is qualified and referred to by poets and other writers with words like faint feeble or desperate hope the bible sometimes uses hope in the conventional sense the farmer should plant seeds in hope for it is the hope of reward that sweetens labor but for the most part the hope with which the bible is concerned is something quite different the majority of secular thinkers back in the ancient world didn't regard hope as a virtue, but merely as a temporary illusion. They thought you were dreamers if you had hope. Paul was giving an accurate description of pagans when he said they had no hope because they were without God. 
When there's belief in the living God who acts and intervenes in human life and who can be trusted to implement His promises as we see over and over again in Scripture, hope in the specifically biblical sense becomes possible. Such hope is not a matter of temperament, no, nor is it conditioned by prevailing circumstances or any human possibilities. It does not depend upon what a person possesses or upon what they may be able to do for themselves, nor upon what any other human being may be able to do for them. A good example is the situation where Abraham found himself justifying his hope that Sarah would give birth to a son. But because he believed in God, he could, in hope, believe against hope. It wasn't going to happen. They were 100 years old, but he didn't give up. He had hope. This definition continues. Biblical hope is inseparable, therefore, from faith in God because of what God has done in the past, particularly in preparing for the coming of Christ, and because of what God has done and is now doing through Christ, the Christian dares to expect future blessings that are invisible at the moment. The goodness of God is never exhausted. The best is yet to come. Our hope is increased as we reflect on the activities of God in the Scriptures. Christ in us is the hope of future glory. Let's go to Scripture, Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. And we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation and this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Danny Gokey has a song on the radio with Evan Kraft and it goes back to a song many of us Sang in Sunday school when we were kids. Remember, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's faithful and he's true. And your whole world are in his hands too. Romans 15.1 says, We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others and do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't please himself as the scriptures say, the insult of those who insult you, O God, have fallen upon me. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us in the scriptures. Give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Please join me in prayer while the worship team comes up. Oh, great and mighty God, thank you for this beautiful day, for the freedom to come together to worship you. We pray that 
Your Word, Your Scripture, Your Holy Spirit will pierce our heart. If we're feeling guilty now, if we're feeling angry, if we're feeling that something in this message upset us or bothered us, Lord, help us to recognize that is Your Holy Spirit getting our attention. Father God, we don't understand all that happens. We don't have all the answers, but we pray to You, the one entity in this universe who does. We trust you. And Lord, we just ask that you would give us the courage and the strength to endure the suffering, the sadness, the pain, knowing that you promise great and eternal gain, a future with you in paradise, in heaven, with those that we love that have gone on before us, and you, our Lord and Savior. We pray these things in the holy and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.